Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. In today's episode, we're speaking with Greg Ramsey, a privacy lawyer who's acted for numerous globally recognizable names. Privacy law has become a growing concern for many businesses, and it's a fascinating area of interest for me. So what is privacy law? How do these laws apply and how are they going to change for businesses both nationally and internationally? And why should entrepreneurs and executives care? These are some of the topics we get into in our conversation. There are reasons for organizations to take note. From startups to multi-billion dollar organizations, there are both risks and opportunities that you can capitalize on. One of the risks that we're seeing is that companies face losing business to their competitors because their technical house, including their privacy program, just isn't up to speed. The next is that for auditing and due diligence purposes, There's potential fines and liabilities of negligent privacy practices that can bankrupt companies overnight. How could this potentially affect financing? This may be a topic that isn't on your radar, but after hearing Greg's advice, you'll likely start paying attention to where and why privacy is so important. This applies to both you as an individual and your company as a going concern. Now, enjoy the show. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Corey. Good to be here, man. It's for the listeners. You and I have a long history. We, you know, we're good friends, but I, I really respect the work you do as a lawyer. And and something that's become really interesting to me increasingly is the world of privacy, privacy law, cybersecurity. I mean, you can't go a day without hearing about these major breaches. And what's happening is governments are stepping in and imposing new legislation, new laws, and new penalties that are impacting businesses. And I want to talk about it. So that's the purpose of our interview today. But I think the best way to start is with an introduction from yourself for the lawyers. Oh, excuse me, for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Which may include some lawyers. So it yeah. yeah, I mean, where to start? Like you said, you and I go go way back. So I'd like to introduce myself more as a kite surfer and paraglider. And, and those are the things that interest me. But also I do this privacy law and tech law thing on the side, which, which isn't quite accurate. It's, it's a, the full-time gig. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a lawyer uh, based out of Calgary. And I work with a number of clients you know, in Alberta and, and elsewhere in Canada too on, on uh, privacy laws and technology matters. And I'm also a, a tech entrepreneur myself. So not only do I advise clients on this, I, I really understand it from the business side too, because I'm living in it as well and, and figuring it out for my own business. You're being a little too humble for me. I think you did three or four years at Bennett Jones. You moved on for to become in-house counsel with one of the largest real estate companies in the world. You know, I think second in command in the legal side there. 
of which he also did all the privacy work for. So, and that was with Brookfield, Brookfield Residential. And so I'm going to pump your tire there, but let's get into what is privacy law? And, you know, just to be blunt, I want to just say it like, why should we care? Why should we give a shit <laughs> as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as financiers? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, privacy law is is a group of laws that all relate to the the personal information that we're collecting about a real human being. So in some ways, I mean, you could draw the parallel between like business confidential information. We sign a confidentiality agreement to protect that. Well, in the, the privacy world, we have laws for that specifically. We have a federal law that applies generally across Canada for um, various ways. We don't need to get too technical about it, but we do have a, a federal privacy law uh, in Canada. And then um, some of the provinces have their own privacy laws as well. So for example, uh, Alberta and BC, Quebec have their own privacy laws. And then there's other subsets too, like health privacy laws. So the rabbit hole goes pretty deep that way. But generally, we're talking about a framework of, of privacy laws that apply to people like you and me, real human beings. Yeah. And I mean, this is this is the thing that to me is fascinating is as organizations are able to capture more and more data about us, as we discussed earlier, and data is, is the new gold. It's been that way for you know last 10 or 15 years, but it's just increasingly and finally coming to a point where I think it's coming to a head that we realize as, as consumers and as individuals, we've been trading our gold for garbage, right? You know, like our personal data for some stupid social feed. But take us into why why this matters for companies. Like how can this actually have a material impact for companies and what are they what should they be considering? Yeah. And you know it's a good question because we can we can go at this from a few different angles and we were joking around a little bit uh, about when you speed, I mean, you, you slow down when you see the police car that's going to get you, you know? So um, from one angle, we can say, well, it's important to businesses because it's the law and the law says you got to do it. And I think that's an overly perhaps utopian view of it because like, well, like what is the real incentive to, to complying with this? Especially like, as yes. you said, data has become the new, like it's a gold mine. When you look at some of the data that that's being collected by large tech organizations, like like that's that's a huge part of the value. It's not necessarily in the subscription fees. There's a reason why you can sign up for Facebook for free or Instagram. I mean, now you see advertisements, but a big part of it is the data play. But you know, I, I think it's important. We can go down a few angles here. Like one is is the fear of being offside. So like we were joking around a little bit. If you Google, like literally Google the fines paid by Google for data privacy breaches, there is a recent one for, I think, $471 million. And that's not the first one. So, I mean, the fines are in the billions that way now for some of these organizations. And I mean, not all of us are the Googles of the world, but that it, it shows just how important regulators are, are taking this. I guess as well that precedent is being set in multiple yeah. ways and and whether you're paying 390 million as a as a fine and you can stroke that check and not think about it or you're paying 3 million in a fine and you're bankrupt your organization's yeah. bank precedent as I'm I understand is being set and indiscriminate of of who's offside totally 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we're going to see that more in the the new. And we'll get into this as we go along in the in today's episode. But uh, there's new privacy laws coming out that are amping up those those fines. So they can be anywhere from ten million dollars, for example, or three percent of gross revenue worldwide, in some cases, and even as high as twenty five million or four percent of gross revenue. And these are big and numbers. That's like a whichever so, is higher, kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's, it's not to, like, I don't want to be fear-mongering out there, say, you know, everybody needs to talk to somebody like me because uh, you're going to be on the hook for a $10 million fine because uh, that's, I don't, I don't think that that's going to be the routine case, but it does show, again, like, like you're saying, the precedent has been set. But I think that's sort of like the, the proverbial 50,000-foot view, but narrowing in, though, more like there's more pragmatic reasons why, why this is really important for organizations. So like thinking about maybe you're a, a service provider of some kind and you're trying to get into a bigger organization to pr- provide your, maybe it's your software or whatever service you're going to be giving them. Because this has become such an important topic for these larger organizations, they are starting to look and vet their service providers more closely. So they'll be asking you things like, what is your privacy program? And what are your da- data practices? and point us to the controls that you have in place and walk us through what people you have involved in your Mm. personal information handling. And you'll be hit with pretty large questionnaires to fill out and really quite scrutinized before you're accepted uh, as a vendor into these organizations. And I've worked with that on both sides of the fence where I'm acting for the larger organization that is developing these checklists and these practices and procedures to vet their vendors. And I've been on for vendors as well that are trying to get into these organizations and need help, one, to just answer the questions and uh, make sure that they're compliant. And I've seen really good, high-quality opportunities that don't go ahead because a vendor, particularly more of an early-stage vendor, maybe it's a startup or you know an early-stage technology company that uh, perhaps doesn't have all the answers to these questions, where they're rejected now as a vendor and they don't get the deal. So on that pragmatic side, you know, it's not just, I don't want to get caught with a speeding ticket and have to pay it. It's also, I'm incentivized because I want to get the business done. And if I don't comply with it, then I may not be able to do that. What about in the world of thinking like accounting and auditing and looking at companies and and saying, you know, hey, here's a potential contingent risk. Is this somewhere where auditing firms, assurance firms are going down and starting to to flag this as, as you know potential liability, or is it just not big enough yet? No, well, I, I think they are. And so like, like there's all sorts of compliance testing that, that will touch on this. Uh, compliance teams at organizations, they're not looking at just the accounting practices anymore. The gifts of the, the Enron fiasco of uh, the, you know, whenever that was the early 2000s, it's, it's not just about that anymore. So like mm. as an example, um, organizations routinely will engage their their auditor firm to do uh, penetration testing on their networks. So this is literally where a division of, you know, whoever it might be, PWCs of the world or or the others, where they'll be on a laptop parked outside your, your building in your parking lot on a wireless connection. There's somebody seeing just how far they can get into that. And, hmm. and so that that is part of your annual compliance testing now. And board of directors are getting more interested in this as well, because 
again, like the the consequences of having a data privacy breach, they're they're quite large. So not only are we looking at the new potential fines that are coming out under the new laws, but there's that reputational risk as well. You don't want to be in the news like certain organizations have, like even Marriott Hotels, for example, have had uh, had a, a series of data breaches a number of years ago now. But you take a hit when that happens. So yeah, they're, they're very interested in it. Here's what I start to when, when I look at this and I go, well, why is the government really stepping in here and starting to put in these laws and this this legislation? And you know, albeit slow, it's it's the government. But if you think about identity theft and what that means to one individual, if they have trusted an organization with their personal information and that isn't protected properly, there's negligence on the side of that organization. And this person's life could potentially be in shambles for years because of the the negligent act of not dealing with that data properly. And that is a huge cost. And so when I really take it down to even down to the individual, I can see why this is starting to become, you know, much more to the fore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the job of governments are to look out for their their citizens. And so like, it is a big so. deal for them. Yeah, you don't, <laughs> I mean, you hope so. But, you know, Canada is also playing some catch up here because mm. we we were one of the jurisdictions in the world that was ahead of the game back more than 20 years ago now when, when we passed PIPEDA, which is uh, Canada's federal, I mean, federal privacy law right now. But since then, we've had GDPR come out in um, the European U- Union and economic area. And along with that, so under GDPR, for example, there can be an adequacy decision where the regulators there take a look at a jurisdiction and they look at its laws and they say, is that a jurisdiction that gives adequate protection to European data subjects? And if we do, then great. I mean, that means that data can relatively easily, I mean, not not completely like as a free for all, but but data can flow relatively freely between an EU member state uh, subject to GDPR in Canada, for example, because we have an adequacy decision. Our friends south of the border used to, but do not now. So under a series of decisions, the U.S. privacy field was struck down. And listeners can kind of uh, go down some rabbit holes to understand why that is. And, and there's various podcasts out there that have interesting discussions about the role of Edward Snowden in that. I, I mean, if we want to put on some tin hats and start talking about those things, you, you can go down that and, and uh, be well entertained. But uh, the important thing is the the uh, EU regulators said the United States is not a jurisdiction that uh, is going to be given the same sort of adequacy decision as Canada. So, like, again, we're, we're playing catch up in Canada. You know, like, like I, I'm not a. I'm not privy to uh, the debates in, in the House of Commons and, and all that about why we're, we're amping up our privacy laws. But if I, if I were to guess, that, that is a motivation as well. And so, again, why is it important for us? Well, it's important because the government's taking it more and more seriously. And we want to be at that forefront of privacy and data protection because we don't want Canadian businesses to lose business like we have seen in parts of the United States because now they're having troubles transferring that data from the EU to the United States. So anyways, in- industry has uh, a vested interest in this as well. Yeah, that that's pretty fascinating that, you know, we're now seeing something that is, is invisible. The data in which we get is transferred and where that's stored, invisible, intangible, if you will. And 
going up all the way to the to the geopolitical level of how countries are needing to handle this and the relationships between one another and how that can impact trade like you know it's two words privacy law but man does that have a lot of a lot of uh legs a lot of strings yeah it does and it's interesting too i mean like talking about the the geopolitical side of things like like the the amount of surveillance we see in other jurisdictions and you know, I, I don't want to point too many fingers, but like like we do see, um, you know, in China, for example, uh, the state taking more and more of a surveillance approach. So, yeah, I mean, like geopolitical. Yeah, you bet. That, that's uh, that's part of it. And, you know, and, and we're just starting to see, I think anyways, like I don't know if we're at the tip of the iceberg, but we're certainly not very far down. We're, we're talking about privacy, but we have things like artificial intelligence now that's starting to really ramp up. I mean, like that's an interesting area to go down to if, if you if you want to look at some of the commentary on on where AI is heading and, and just how quickly it could develop. And this is why one of the reasons we have an AI. So I want to I want to talk about that because you, you hear about a lot of companies. You go out to the market, you want to raise capital, you throw AI on your deck and and in your 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 investor narrative and all of a sudden people take notice. Which is kind of kind of goofy. But the before we go down there, can we define personal information? What does that involve? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Personal information is really broadly defined. So it really is any information about an identifiable human being. And that's pretty much as as uh, short as the definition goes under these privacy laws. So it's very broad. Really? Okay. So, I mean, there's, you know, what examples... First name, last name, address, it's almost endless, is it not? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it can be your, like your first name, last name. Uh, it can be account information. So, your your account numbers, uh, social insurance number. And even more than that, too, though, it can be biometrics. So, your fingerprint when you log in mm-hmm. uh, or unlock your phone. It can right. even be the the sound of your voice if that's recorded by an organization and they start doing behavioral analysis on that. So, so that can be personal yes. information as well. And, wow. and we can get into debates on, on certain things like, like is, is an account number actually personal information or not? Like, especially if it's tokenized, which is one way that we anonymize personal information. So there's ways to transfer or transform personal information into either a de-identified form or an anonymized form. But the point is, personal information isn't just the obvious things like first name, last name, address, phone number those sorts of things. It's like I said, you know, be your biometrics. It can be behavioral attributes of you. It can be. What about in, I mean, in technology, we talk a lot about user experience and, and user habits. And if you're starting to record people's habits, is that, does that become personal information or is that just become, you know, kind of an anonymous kind of, it's, it's not relevant to, to the conversation, but you know, how do the consumer habits relate to privacy law? Yeah, yeah, great question. So, and like some of this is under the new privacy laws. Like I mentioned, uh, the AI Act, w- which is not yet passed. Like that's uh, that's currently being debated in the House of Commons. So some of these these topics are are being developed as you and I talk right now. These are live topics that are are developing. But profiling is is getting uh, specific attention in Canada's new privacy laws that I, I think are likely to be passed at some point this year. So profiling is when we we use information to assess characteristics about an individual. So it can be like buying habits, for example, or 
uh, mood analysis when somebody calls into a call center. And again, like a lot of this will start using uh, artificial intelligence as well, which will be really interesting to see for sales processes, for example, when you're on a call with a sales center. You know, if these artificial intelligence means can start analyzing your your emotions, you know, how you're how are you feeling right now about this offer and perhaps even making suggestions and recommendations. So that too will be personal information. And, uh, you know, it's maybe getting a little bit geeky, but there will be specific disclosures that organizations have to have to make in their privacy statements about their their profiling that they do on individuals. And there has to be, in certain circumstances, override procedures as well, if there's an automated decision-making process there. So if there's uh, an AI, for example, that's uh, profiling you, like analyzing your facial expressions, the tone of your voice, and your buying characteristics, and then making a decision about you, whether that's to maybe offer you an upsell opportunity or show an ad to you or more. Maybe it's even locking down your account or anything like that. Uh, you have to have a real human being that can be inserted into that mix to override that. So how does this land when you have organizations or companies that are perhaps collecting data, but that data is then going into you know various different forms of software solutions? So you know one company, a brand name, can be using you know fifty different platforms to do various different pieces of of analysis and and so on. And you know I can think of online retailers use Shopify. And then with that, you can plug in something like a hot jar uh, as a software solution to come in and, and look at how people are using your page. And that can be directly tied to, to an, you know, an individual user. You can move on to Google Analytics and the work that's done there. You can move on to payment processing, money coming through from you know the a front page user experience all of this goes on and on and on. How do companies manage these relationships and, and how do they, yeah, like how long is this piece of string? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, it goes pretty deep. I mean, there was even a story here in Calgary about a, a shopping mall that was using facial recognition, for example, uh, as you walk in their doors and then tracking to see which stores you went into. And now I, I don't know all the details after that, but I, I do know that like as an example, that wasn't disclosed to patrons of the shopping mall as they came in. And so like there was a, a pretty big uproar about the privacy impacts of that. So like like how far does it go? Like like that's that's sort of a microcosm. So imagine just walking into a market of some kind, you know, shopping mall, and, and then all of a sudden you make a purchase and then that purchase gets processed and and so I'm not saying that payment processors today will will track that and use it that way, but imagine the scenario in which then all of a sudden we're getting data about when you attend a, a specific um, place in the real world and you make a purchase, then you're more likely, for example, to dine at a restaurant, whatever, or make an e-commerce purchase in this other place or book a trip to Madeira or something, you know, like mm -hmm. we get sort of into minority report kind of stuff and, and thinking. So like, again, you can get lost in the rabbit hole here, but the, the point is when you ask like, how far does the string go? Like it goes pretty far and we're, mm. we're there today, you know, like this isn't like yeah. a future scenario. Everything I outlined right there may or may not be happening in real life, but the point is like the capability uh, is there. Like we, we can do this now. 
Yeah. Well, I think we've all had these scenarios now and, and it just, I wonder how much is it that we care or that we're just helpless, but I'll give you an example. I was speaking, we had carpet recently put in, in a few rooms in our home and the, I was talking to a friend about it and uh, how I was supposed to, how I was not supposed to, but how I was actually able to negotiate one hell of a good deal. And, and so that was great. So I'm just touting my skills to my buddy over the phone, talking price, talking this the next day he's getting ads on his Instagram feed about carpet deals. And so he texts that to a group chat saying like, what in the hell? Like, how is this possible? And, and you know, he's a smart guy. He knows how it's possible. But my question is, is like that, that's a form of, of privacy that has been, has been capitalized on. I think by us just ignorantly clicking the terms of service, enables that kind of thing and you know we we really have no choice do you use instagram or do you do you not like which rock do you want to live under then so where i'm going with this i i don't know but the question is kind of like when does it cross the line and what rights do we have as as consumers can you actually speak to that or is it that that it's only really government who can who can lay down the law here yeah. So, yeah. And, and this is another area where the laws are changing now. So broadly speaking, anyways, Canada is, is more viewed, for example, as a consent based system. So like previously, if the information couldn't be identified to you, then in large measure, anyways, organizations were pretty free to use that however they want. Like even if we're taking data about you, like data about Corey and and laying carpet and deals, but we tokenize that. And so rather than it being Corey, we, we give you some string of numbers and, you know, alpha numeric, mm-hmm. alpha numeric numbers and, and now it's no longer attributable to you. But now we're moving more to like a rights-based regime, a little bit more. Like we're, we're still very heavy on the consent side of things. But as an example, under these new laws, if they, if they do get passed, then all of us will have a right to be forgotten. So that's where we can say to an organization, I'd like to see all the data that you have on me and I want you to get rid of it. And we know we'll have to stand under the regulations and the interpretation, just how far that goes. But the point is we're moving that way. Uh, so we're getting more and more rights. Under Quebec's new uh, privacy laws, this will be effective uh, September of this year. There's a right to be de-indexed. So if your information is hyperlinked on somebody's website, like some of these aggregators that collect business information about individuals, you know, in in our world of finance, sometimes, you know, you can look up individual investors, venture capitalists, and you can find out information on net worth and all that kind of thing. And, And these are all generally speaking hyperlinked. So in Quebec, you'll have that right to say, de-index me. I don't want to be linked on your website anymore. And then federally, we're going a little bit further and there's actually a right to be forgotten. Uh, so it's like get rid of my data, and there's exceptions to that, like I said, but that's the uh, the general principle. So, I mean, we're moving that way. I, it's a little bit hard to put the genie back into the bottle, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's let's come back to the discussion around organizations, companies, and management teams and executives, and how can they work with their legal team or their their lawyer to ensure that they're not going to be found offside here or that they're like, yeah, that they're, yeah, they won't find themselves creating a, a legal nightmare. Yeah. I think that's an important consideration, you know, like, like 
I think for for too long, and like speaking from experience as well, like uh, in the world of, of law that I practice, for a long time, privacy was was just looked at as like, okay, we need a privacy policy and we need to post that on the website. Sometimes the question would be like, can't we just copy and paste this from somebody else's website and, and put it on there? I remember you know, years ago when I was asked to be the privacy officer of a, a large organization, and that was my initial gut instinct. I'm like, like, okay, you know, it's, sure enough, I, it can't be that hard. <laughs> right, yeah, I can copy paste. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I mean, it was a little bit more nuanced than that. But uh, I mean, generally, like I, I understand that instinct. But the thing is, I mean, that might have been true, might have been true, you know, pre-2000. It's definitely not true 2023. So how do we how do we build a privacy team at an organization? So typically, like you want to bring in your lawyer if you have an in-house counsel or external, somebody that does practice in privacy uh, and that's keeping on top of these topics. So you get them involved. You should have people that are, are higher up in management as well that understand the, the business needs. So like, why are we collecting this data? Why is it important to us? If the advice, for example, were to be shut off data collection, why would that be a problem? Because like, we need to understand the business case for it because, you know, we've gone down some, some avenues here and talking where we've painted a, a sort of, you know, the big bad wolf picture. Um, but, right, yeah. there's a, you know, there's a lot of good use to data. A lot of exceptionally good use to data that empowers mm. daily life, but also is really good. Like think about medical technologies. Like I, I'm working with several of my clients are uh, medical records companies that are developing technological solutions for managing the complex world of your medical records. And the ability to analyze that data and, and transfer it between physicians and see the correlations, like, like it is making a big difference. Anyways, that, that's a bit of a tangent. But yeah, bring in, bring in the management people. But then we, we're also going to need the, the technical people on the line, too, at the table talking about this. So when I engage with a company and they ask me to, to do a, a privacy analysis with them, my typical first step is to say, pretend that I'm a, a new user, um, one of your, your customers, and you're onboarding me onto your technological platform and like literally walk me through it. Like, let's do a product demonstration right now. And what I'm looking for is where am I giving data? What categories of data is that? Uh, how sensitive is it? And then I start looking at the functionality. So like, for example, uh, do I have the ability to share my medical records? Like, can I, can I send that by an email out of this record system or, or request that it be sent? So like, I'm looking for things like that. And, and, you know, for the most part, these things are really buttoned down, but we, we look for that. Like, where's the ingress and egress of data? And then uh, I give you, I'll give you another example in the payment processing sphere. So one of the clients that I've been helping, they have a customer uh, user dashboard. Many software as a service companies have. You log into your account and you can see your account and manage payments. Well, we're not in the business of processing payments. That's not what we do. We're in the business of whatever it is. So we've engaged a payment processor to integrate with our, our user dashboard. So then we got to start thinking, like, how's that data flowing out now? Because we have sensitive personal information now. Uh, we have bank account information, credit cards, an economic picture. Maybe you've captured um, credit checks uh, as part of your process and you're storing that. So, so then we have to ask, well, is that data leaving our environment? Like, is it actually uh, stored on our servers and then sent by some means to somebody else's servers or are we integrating through an api or an iframe 
And now I, I, I don't know how many of your, your listeners would, would know or care what those things are, but the point is they do make a difference because rather than the data going from our environment, if we're using certain APIs and iframes and other technological tools, and what we're actually doing is just opening up a little portal, think of it like a little wormhole to the payment processors world. So our, our uh, data subject, you know, they give that data. It looks like they're on our website or our platform, but they're actually not. They're, they're in somebody else's environment. So we don't even capture that data. And knowing that is a really important piece of the picture, because if we're not capturing that data, somebody else is, then we're not the controller of that, that personal information. So our compliance obligation. Is there still a liability there? There can be, yeah. Like our, our compliance obligations may go down, but our liability may not, because if there's a data privacy breach, then, uh, and again, under the new laws that are coming out, we as an organization have a responsibility to oversee our, our uh, vendors and integration partners to make sure that they're complying with privacy laws. So yes, absolutely. Like Even though we're not the data controller, we can still be liable in that sort of value chain of a privacy breach. And again, we're kind of getting a, a little bit into tangents here because your original question is how do we bring everybody together? But, um, you know, like thinking about that, like that's why you bring the, the tech people into the, the conversation as well, because then all of a sudden we understand where this data is going and we can say, well, this data has moved outside of our environment to somebody else's. So if something goes wrong, we need them to pay for that problem, not us. So then we can start building that into the contracts to say, you know, payment processor, we want you to indemnify us, which means, you know, if we're sued, it, it's it's on you, not us. So you bring, uh, to wrap this kind of up, I'm being a little bit long-winded in my response to your question, but you bring all these people to the table so you can have this conversation that we just had. And as you can see, it's not just a question of where do we copy and paste the privacy policy? You know, who's got a good one posted on their website? Let's just click, click and done. It's a much bigger conversation. Yeah. Wow. No kidding. No kidding. And other things that I, that I'm seeing as I've been learning about privacy is for companies and you know what, where this really starts to resonate for me is like well-funded startups who are moving at the speed of light or trying to at least and tend to, you know, it's, it's really a, a, a software play and they need to be making sure these, these angles are covered then making sure everything's documented. And now with changing laws, you're seeing, as I understand it, potentially changing laws, higher levels of transparency and documentation and and even communication of what that privacy policy all means or the privacy procedures. Can you expand on that? Like if I was a CEO of a of a fast-moving tech startup, what advice do you have in and around there? Well, I mean, I think you're right, because like, especially in that world, like, you're going fast and furious and, uh, and building things very quickly. But I'd say like, like the advice would be like, it, it's money well spent. And it's not always just about the money, but, but get a, a privacy professional involved early on, because the, the earlier you make these decisions and, and understand the landscape, the better it's going to be for you. So rather than building up your platform and, and introducing all this functionality and then finding out like, hey, we have a problem. We need to re-architect this. That's expensive. It's one of those things like don't throw uh, good money after bad. So like, like build it right from the, the ground up and, and you'll save yourself a lot of money later. So there's that. And then also, because you are right under these new laws, there's increased transparency. So 
it's uh, it's not a matter of just having a privacy policy anymore once these new laws come into effect. Things like like we see a lot of organizations like HubSpot is a good one. Uh, Hootsuite is another good example where they have privacy trust centers. So a, a section of their website where you click and can learn about their privacy practices and get some information. And, and that information isn't legalese and it isn't buried in a privacy policy or terms and conditions. So like that's a new requirement under, under these laws too. So uh, you can get that built up properly on your website as well with some good input from a privacy professional. Just random question here. Is this going to come to a point where the government is just going to look in and, and basically just be throwing darts at companies saying, you, 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 you're all offside. Here's a fine. Guilty till proven uh, innocent. Yeah. Highly cynical, highly cynical you know, side of me here. But I'm like, is, is the government going to use this as a cash grab? Uh, I mean, we've been friends for long enough to know that, you know, I'm equally cynical with you about most things in life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, it could be. And if we look at uh, like a few years back, um, years ago now, but Canada introduced its anti-spam laws, which was, you know, about email marketing and, and email communications. So, I mean, we, like we did see a little bit of that. I, I don't know if it's so much as a dart, but there were certain organizations that, uh, I mean, you can guess that they're going to be targets right away to see if they're being compliant. And, yeah. you know, could it be that way with uh, privacy? Like, probably. I, mean, I guess it's not, again, getting a little bit cynical. I guess it depends on how well staffed and managed and, and how functional uh, the, the, the government agencies and, and privacy commissioners are going to be to start tackling these things and, and yeah. uh, going after people. But, I, I mean, you don't want to be right. the one that takes that dart. So, you know. Yeah, might, yeah, yeah might as well just keep yourself on side. Yeah, ah, really interesting. Let's, you know, 45 or 40 minutes in here, why don't we aim to wrap up? And if you could summarize just, you know, a few points to keep in mind when it comes to this privacy stuff. And, and you know, one that comes to mind for me is like, is like, we're, we're at the, we're pending potential new legislation around this. But what else to keep in mind as, as, management team or entrepreneur when it comes to privacy law? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say like one of the bigger things is really just keeping on top of these things, like like the changes that are coming. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it sounds kind of nerdy, but uh, like I'm thinking, for example, under these new laws, we have a, a new category of personal information called de-identified personal information. So that sits somewhere between you know, run of the mill personal information, like something that we know is about you, Corey, you know, like your, your name, maybe a bank account number or whatever it might be. So that that's on one end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum is anonymized information where we can't even tell it's yours. And this is kind of the world of aggregate data and, and some of the more like valuable data where organizations cannot look, not only look at trends, but they can make and um, sell benchmarking data you know, industry trends, purchase trends, like whatever it might be. But now in these new laws, we are introducing a middle ground called de-identified information. And that's where there's still, it's not, uh, we can't identify you with it specifically, but there remains a risk that we somehow could reassociate that data with you. And I mean, that's some really loose language. Like, what does that even mean? Like, like there's all, it, isn't it true that there's always a risk right now of, some sort of re-identification. I don't have 
a ton of confidence that anonymization is always truly 100% anonymized. I mean, right. it's just the way that we, we live in. So we, we have this category of de-identified personal information. It's expressly stated to still be personal information for all purposes of privacy law, except in the limited uh, exceptions that they give. And so one of them, for example, is you can use de-identified information without consent to improve your internal business practices. So, you know, like usage data to see how well your processes are working, whether it's a technology company or something else. But what you can't use it for is to create, well, potentially not be able to use it for is to create a benchmarking product that you sell to somebody else. So that, that's something new there. So if you're in, in the business of creating and selling data insights, well, now it looks really quite strongly that you're going to need consent of your uh, data subjects to do that first, rather than just doing it and hanging your hat on the fact that it's de-identified. So your question of like, like, why is this important? What do we do now? What's some of the best advice? I mean, like I'd say, I'm not in the business of fear mongering, but I, I would say like there's minefields out there that are being laid right now. And there are clear paths through them. It's not like you have to just be wandering and step on one. But if you're unprepared, there's a good chance that you're going to come pretty close to one and you could step on one. And, and so why not get uh, on top of it right now? You'll get the benefits of you know not having to deal with that problem, but also building up reputational assets as well. You know, in the marketplace as being uh, a trusted organization. And I mean, on that point too, without getting again overly technical, but uh, even the privacy commissioners and legislators are seeing this too. So something brand new under this new law is that the the exact words are escaping me, but basically you can apply to the privacy commissioner to to get uh, a certificate of compliance of of some sort, like. Like basically, uh, you can hang it on your wall and say that you, the government has reviewed your practices, you know, the privacy commissioners have, have uh, reviewed your practices and procedures, and you meet or exceed the standards of those laws. And so like, like again, you know, that's another thing, you put that on your website, uh, it, it gives you some more um, credibility. Yeah, really interesting, man. Like it's, 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 it's a world that, no, I really find it, it it's fascinating. And, and I think it, it, it has a lot of kind of either under underrepresented or under a lot of risk that that is just underappreciated and then a lot of potential value that is is not really acknowledged or capitalized on man i've enjoyed this thank you for taking the time absolutely my pleasure anytime thanks for listening to this episode of the insider's guide to finance if you enjoyed what you heard please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.